0: It was November 2006. The setting, Gopeshwar, in Uttarakhand, on the borderlands with Tibet. The Himalayas loom in the background. It's harsh up here, cold, not many roads, surrounded by wilderness. Nainika Mathur is doing research in a dusty government office.
1: Somebody came running into the office, and he said, Bag which means the leopard has returned. And there was this gasp of horror in the room and everyone just stopped doing what they were doing and they looked up and said, No, you know, there's this sort of incredulous, but also, you know, they were just horrified. And then anyway, so this man went on to tell this story about a woman who was actually my neighbor in Gopeshwar. She was climbing up the mountain on which Gopeshwar is spread out to get some fodder for her goats. Um, so going up to the jungle to just collect some of that. And uh, suddenly, out of nowhere, this leopard appeared, and it attacked her. And this is so in broad daylight. And uh, she shrieked, and you know, so lots of people came running. And it
2: was clear the leopard was going for a kill.
1: I was absolutely horrified, and I said, "Well, was it? You know, was it just a chance encountered? Is it that she just bumped into a leopard?" And they were like, "No, no, no. The way this has happened in broad daylight, um, you know, in front of other people." Uh, the way in which the leopard attacked her, it's very clear that this is an Adam Khor, that it is a man-eater who is returned.
2: The woman survived the encounter, though she was brutally injured. And the leopard?
0: For three months, she became the man-eater of Gopeshwar. She officially killed seven people. Unofficially, she killed many more. Until she was eventually hunted down and killed. Now, you might be thinking... This is off somewhere in the Himalayas, right? This has nothing to do with me. There's hardly room for man in India, never mind man-eaters. You'd be mistaken.
2: We are increasingly sharing space with predators and wild animals. People of Mumbai, you know this. Leopards are strolling through your shopping malls, moseying into buildings, prowling the streets at night. The sharing of space has deadly consequences.
0: For the animals, that is. Not so much the humans. Or at least that was the case until the pandemic. COVID is the result of a breaching of ecological boundaries. As we expand our lives, as we live ever larger, buy more stuff, and to power it all, build more dams and blast open more mountaintops for coal, we encroach on their spaces. We are thrown together.
2: This leads to new viruses jumping from wild species into humans, like COVID-19, which scientists think might have jumped from pangolins. They're these tiny wild creatures, about the size of a mongoose. They're covered in scales like armor, and they're the most trafficked mammal in the world. That's right, not the tiger, not the elephant, the pangolin.
0: So how can we rework our relationship with the natural world and coexist with other species? This is Chatroom 10, your bonus episode on Scrolls and Leaves. I'm Gayathri Vaidyanathan, And I'm Mary Rose
2: Abraham. And a small request. We're an independently funded podcast and we do not host ads. So if you like our work, please do consider donating via Patreon. Every bit helps. Could be the cost of a meal or a fancy coffee every month. Details on our website, scrollsandleaves.com. And of course, if you have feedback,
0: please do let us know. Okay, back to Nineker, who is an anthropologist at Oxford University and author of the upcoming book Crooked Cats. I'm quite looking forward to it. It's a compilation of 15 years of fieldwork on big cat encounters in India. And it all began after this leopard attack in Gopeshwar. Nainika began collecting stories.
1: So I went to different districts, I looked at district archives, I collected a lot of stories and narratives by victims of attacks of leopards in Uttarakhand. Um, I also did, a, again, as I said, I was working within these government offices at the time. I also looked at the archives, the district archives, where I found, you know, fascinating petitions, documents, images, newspaper accounts of leopards that were systematically attacking humans.
0: She wanted to know why.
1: Why did this leopard attack you? Why is this leopard prowling over here? Why is this leopard behaving in a way that is seen as crooked, that's not seen as straightforward as Siddha, but as Tera, a Tera
2: she began assembling an alternative archive, as it were, filled with the tales of beastly encounters from Baharis or mountain folk, of women,
1: children, and men. I think that they're very powerful ways of narrating the world. How do these narratives then, what do they tell us about the world? What do they tell us about the climate crisis? What do they tell us about human relations with big cats? And I think we need these narratives in this moment because these are the people we never listen to, right? So when we talk about conservation or when we talk about climate change or when we talk about the environment, we listen to the voices of experts. You know, we listen to voices that we understand that speak in the language that we speak in. And I don't mean just English language or Hindi or something. I mean they have these kind of coherent narratives. They assume this expressions of expertise. They are scientific, the rational, the factual, the empirical. Um, they're very different modes of knowledge.
2: Back in Uttarakhand, she met a woman, whom she calls Vimla for privacy reasons, and Vimla was a farmer. She had a sickle in her hand, and she was
1: harvesting. By mistake, without knowing it, she was quickly sort of chopping it with this, um, with the sickle that she had. There was a little leopard cub, which was sitting in the bushes, probably abandoned by her mother, um, and she accidentally nicked the foot of this leopard. Um, so it was slightly injured, this little cub, and she felt terrible. But she was really scared that the mother might be around, you know, and she would attack her. So she ran off. She left this cub and she ran off.
0: A few years later, Vimla started feeling uneasy.
1: Something which is really interesting about people who live near leopards and tigers is that they will tell you that you know that there's a leopard here because you can feel his gaze on your back. You can feel him watching you. So even if you don't see him, even if you don't see pug marks, even if you don't see any other sign of this big cat, there are other ways in which you have this knowledge of the fact that this animal is actually in your midst or is watching you. So after a few years, she started feeling that there is, there are these sort of beastly eyes trained on her and she just knew that. She, you know, she would say, Pas pata tha mujhe, ki hai you know, There is a leopard here. And then she started noticing that this leopard became more and more confident. So it would come out of the, the bushes or the forest or whatever it was and observe her, but observe her from a distance. And then she she said, and she always knew this was the same leopard cub that she had hurt. And she, when she once, when the leopard came quite close to her, she could see that there was, you know, it was limping a bit. So this was the same one whose leg she had accidentally hurt. This leopard never did anything to her. It never hurt her or her family or anybody, but it would come and watch her. And I said, well, did he or she come and watch other people as well? And she's like, no, just me.
2: Vimla knew the leopard wouldn't hurt
1: her. The leopard knew it was an accident and that's why it never hurt her. But if the leopard had thought that it was a deliberate attack on her, then the leopard would have hurt her. But she would always come and watch her because she wanted her to know that I know you did this to me, that I know you hurt me, but I will not hurt you because I know you did not hurt me deliberately. So she talked about how these animals are able to individually recognize the human, So they're able to distinguish me from you, for instance. Um, But she also said something which to me found fascinating. She talked about the memory of leopards and tigers. And she talked about how they have not just memory in terms of something happened to them now and six months later they recognize that they'll remember it but they also have memory which is passed down from uh, mother to child or across generations um you know again not just love but many people have talked about uh the ways in which level the tigers remember what happened in their generation what happened to their kin Um, And they pass it down through different generations. And they educate their children on it, for instance.
0: Now, dear listener, maybe by now you're wondering, just like I was, whether Vimla was just imagining things. Maybe it was her guilt talking, in the form of a pair of eyes on her back. After all, no one else saw this leopard hanging around her. So that's what I asked Nainika.
1: I, I don't think Fimla was imagining it. it. It's actually quite normal that you recognize a particular leopard or a particular tiger, that the leopard or tiger recognizes you, that you know that this is a deeply um, intelligent animal that has memory, that is capable of recognition, that is capable of an ethical behavior, that is capable of understanding justice and injustice and acting according to it. There is a huge overlap In the core message of these stories and what animal behavior, what wildlife studies, what animal history, what uh, studies of cognition in animals are also built out. So, for instance, if you just take the question of uh, memory, there is work which is coming out from animal history as well as from animal sciences of other forms that talk about the fact that animals do have memory that they are capable of recognizing. There's a lot of quote-unquote natural science work as well as from, say, the humanities um, literature that's coming out that, that argues precisely what someone like Vimla is arguing. The only difference is that they argue it in a very different way. For instance, if we go back to dogs, they're putting dogs in these MRI scanners and attaching rods to the head and seeing what lights up when you say a certain name or, you know, you show them something, etc. Um, so they, They're just working Through very different means, I can see clear overlaps. Um, you know, they they, they are, they're talking about similar things, which are that they're sentient, intelligent, feeling beings, and that the ways in which we act, they respond to human action. That a lot of this is actually a relationship between us and this animal. And it is this relationship between us as humans and this animal that is guiding what is happening here.
2: People who live close to nature have an immense wisdom, and it's only by listening to them that we'll ever truly resolve our environmental problems. So listen is what Nayanika has been doing. And one day, she listened to a man with one arm in Adaba in the Himalaya.
1: Which is where I asked this this young man who had his arm chewed off by a leopard. He literally is a man with one arm. Because of the leopard. And I still clearly remember when I met him. I met him in this Dhaba and Pithoragar district. And I asked him, you know, so why do you think this leopard attacked you? And he went on this like really long rant that thankfully I recorded. So I can do it even now quite often actually, um, because it's such a powerful narrative. He said, well, you know why he attacked me? It wasn't. The poor thing, he called it bichara. It wasn't the poor thing's fault, it was actually our fault. And I was like, what do you mean? I and mean, who's this R? And he went on this long rant about the Indian state, about the political structures, about how, you know, there is deforestation, how this damming of rivers, how there is poaching of wild animals, how the state stands by and watches all this happening and doesn't actually do anything or is actually complicit in it and how there is only lip service paid to conservation. But even, and then there are some people who pretend to be conservationists, but they actually only care about tigers and leopards. They don't care about humans. Uh, and you know, that will never work because you have to care for all living beings in an equal way. What was interesting about the narrative was that it was actually quite commonplace. So when I will ask somebody in Uttarakhand or in the mountains, why did this happen to you? Why did this tiger attack you? They're not blaming the tiger. They're blaming us. They're blaming political structures. They're blaming historical structures that have allowed for this world to be structured, to this world to function the way in which it does. They blame big capital. They will name big industrialists who are setting up dams, who are chopping off forests, who are making obscene amounts of money, who are sort of denuding the Himalaya, who are killing it. And in the process, killing... Uh, these animals, killing the worlds in which they live, killing, uh, destroying, uh, you know, basically leading to an ecological collapse. Um, And that is the reason that this leopard attacked me. This is the reason that this tiger is acting the way it is. Now, for me, I think that, you know, when I put all these very many stories together, I think of them as really much more powerful than, I don't know, a WWF report that blames... You know, the lack of a conservationist ethic, or that has this very sort of apolitical, slightly, you know, technical account of why this happens. These are much richer, more vivid, more lived experiences that allow us to make sense of why we are in the predicament that we are. Because we don't take them seriously, because we are looking for speech of a particular form that is coherent, that's rational, that's in the English language, that speaks a language of expertise that we recognize and that we respect and that has legitimacy, we are not listening to these voices. And I think till we listen to these deeply political and these deeply situational and actually much more evocative stories, uh, we can't really see. Um, the kind of radical change that is actually required in this moment.
0: You are listening to Nainika Mathur on Chatroom Ten on Scrolls and Leaves. For episode notes, visit scrollsandleaves.com/chatroom10. We'll be back in two weeks. Until then, goodbye.